What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. Coming to you live for this week's episode of the Cronus Cast. As always, mm-hmm. this week's episode is brought to you by Paragon Recovery. I've got a lot of good feedback this week from the Q&A session about night games. Like I've been saying for, I guess, the last year now, uh, night games has been probably the best sleep supplement I've ever used. Um, helps me sleep very soundly. Highly recommended. Use the code Cronus for 15% off or for military or first responder. Hit them up directly for an additional discount. Hell yeah. Dude, Dude. you need the night gains after that 24-mile session that you put on yesterday. Yeah, it was a good run. Uh, I went on a different route this time. Uh, I went kind of, it was kind of a mix of roads and trails. <laughs> But I uh, did not take care of myself in terms of my nutrition and bonked really hard. What will you do in the future to not just keel over and die in the middle of a training area? Uh, I just need to be more consistent with my nutrition. I don't know what I was thinking or like I just forgot to eat. Uh, Usually I try to eat something about like 200 to 300 calories every hour on the hour. And I think yesterday, I think I was uh, on the road or something. and There wasn't like a good area that I could like stop off the side and like pull out my food and eat so i think that's what kind of made me uh fall fall off the hinges that checks out what do you like to eat on your uh really long runs so i've changed i'm trying to change it up a little bit and trying to experiment uh last last month i've been eating i was eating like shit food So things like oatmeal cream pies was like my favorite to eat. Oatmeal cream pies, like cosmic brownies, uh, like just not good food, like just shitty snacks. And I've noticed that like I didn't feel really good eating them. Like I, I could feel myself kind of getting like a little sluggish and like not, I don't know, not feeling great. So then this week I went to PB&J's with like uh, some Killer Dave's bread, like some good peanut butter, some good jelly. So like I felt actually a lot better this week eating that versus like the shitty you know highly processed uh oatmeal cream pies yeah when you do the peanut butter and jellies because i like to do that too on the rides do you find it easier to down like peanut butter that's creamy versus like the chunky variety uh i have not noticed any difference i'm a huge i'm a super chunk fan so all my oh, peanut yeah. butter is chunky but definitely i think adding more some of my sandwiches had didn't have a lot of jelly on it so that was a little hard getting it down so the sandwiches that had a lot of jelly on it you know went down a lot smoother yeah i had the first sandwich that i made on one of my longer rides i had chunky and i'm not like a huge jelly fan um especially too when i've got like you know on my jersey i've got the back pockets that are real easy to access that kind of stuff um but like unwrapping it in the middle of a ride like my hands get sticky and then I'm holding onto my handlebars and it's just like that too. The goos are really sticky. I, I think goos are an incredible creation, but they suck cause you rip them open and then undoubt undoubtedly you're going to have some of that residue like build up on your hands and in your palms. Like I just wish there was an easy button where I could just like just stick an IV in and just, and That'd I'm good to go. Easy. That'd be too, too easy. easy. Yeah, I think I should start experimenting with goos. I just never been a big fan of them. I felt like I don't know. I just never been a big. I like personally eating something versus taking the goos yeah. in. So maybe I should try bring some goos next time, just to because I guess that's easier than trying to take a sandwich out of my backpack and eat it. So we're not sponsored by any 
specific company when it comes to uh, you know these recovery products or fueling products. If you're out there and you want to sponsor us, let us know. But I'll talk about some that I've used. Um, I've used the Gatorade and I've used the actual company Goo pretty extensively for both running and biking. And I think that the Gatorade are way easier to down. Um, they're a little bit more liquidy, so it's kind of like just drinking it. I think they have relatively the same number of calories. Maybe the Gatorade's got a couple more calories. Um, but the the goos I think have more carbs, but they're just so hard to get down. I mean, it's literally like trying to drink a melting uh, like cherry or vanilla or whatever flavor you have, like piece of candy. So it gets like really hard in the middle of a ride. I always have to drink water immediately after taking one of the goos, which is just another annoyance because that whole process can be a minute or so down the road between undoing it off of a top you know, a top bag, uh, eating it, sticking it back in and then getting back into whatever like arrow position I was in. Um, but I think there's honey stinger makes them, so we should hit them up. Um, I've, I loved honey stinger shit when we were in, I mean, it was like, that was like the sponsored brand of every single exercise we ever went on. So I, I don't know why I'm playing around with Gatorade and goo right now. Yeah. I've got some of the honey stinger goos, uh, and I've also got like the cliff glue cliff goos or whatever. Do you prefer to have caffeine in your goos or do you prefer just uh, just sugar? So I haven't had anything yet with caffeine. Um, I think I will start trying it because I think at least once a week now I'll have a four to six hour ride um, for my brick workouts as my running starts increasing. So I'll probably look to have some, some caffeine supplements. I don't like taking caffeine though before I work out. Uh, weirdly, it's one of those things that I feel... If I take caffeine, I'm getting. I feel like I have to get off the bike to piss for the first hour. Um, same with running. Um, you know, I'll try to make sure I have a bowel movement before I start. You know, these endurance events. But I don't know something about taking caffeine early in the morning before I start working out. It's just like I don't know. I think I have enough energy to begin with. Like I'll have you know 200 calorie meal before I jump on or start running, and I'm good to go. Interesting, because uh, I mean, I guess it's different for me because I'm running, so it's a lot easier for me to stop and piss. But, like, uh, my morning routine is pretty much I wake up. I Depending on, like, a long day, I'll eat something. But if I, it's just, it's just, like, a regular 10-mile run, I won't eat anything. I drink my coffee and just take a shit and then go. Yeah. I so think the worst part, too, for me is since I'm here in the city, essentially the only place I'm running is Central Park um, and down by uh, Riverside Park. And there are only a couple bathrooms that I'm aware of. Um, I won't mind so much stopping and pissing like while I'm running, but I hate getting off the bike. Like if I'm going for a really long bike, I want to be able to, it's like once you get, you know, rigged up for a jump and you're sitting on the aircraft, I just want to find that really uncomfortable position that I can get comfortable in and getting off the bike. I feel is like it's cheating. Like I just need to be able to sit on that bike for hours on end and just get used to it till, you know, I'm comfortably numb. Yeah. You should just uh, piss your pants. I think I should. Yeah. I like, I mean, it's New York. Half the city smells like it anyway. Who's going to notice? Yeah. Uh, Blade Madison. Pee in your pants. It's cool. I'm all <laughs> Oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> Look, everybody's peeing their pants. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I have like a route that I use because I, like, I know if I drink coffee in the morning, I'm going to have to pee about 
30 or 45 minutes in. So, like, I have, like, routes and, like, spots on my... It's kind of funny. Like, I, like, I, like, know along the routes I go on, like, where I, I can piss accessibly. Yeah. And where, I, like, I can, like, stop. <laughs> I almost... Uh, I biked up to Rockland State Park, which is almost, like, halfway to West Point. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be, I think, my century ride here in a couple of weeks. I'll go up, but God, that there's like one hilly route, um, and so I I stopped uh, to eat real quick and just to get off the bike and use the restroom. And I was like in the open at the park, just next to the side of the road, and I almost did the like you know take a knee and just start going and just like cover it up with your thigh. And then I was like, I'm not in a training area. Like these are normal people like yeah, walking or riding, but I I should probably just go across the street and jump into the woods and just relieve myself there. Cause I can't imagine like, Hey, so, uh, why can't you graduate law school? Oh, indecent inspo- exposure. Yeah. Yeah. I had to whip it out just to take a piss. That's like, I was like, you know, the benefit is, uh, not worth that reward. Yeah. Especially like for me where I do my long runs, I'm on the training areas and like, there's literally nobody around in the training areas. It's just me running around. Yeah. So I just, stop while i'm running and just side the, on the trail and just piss on the side of the trail that'd be it's fine yeah, you think no one's there i remember uh i think i said this before but one of the first encounters i ever had with rangers from battalion was we had just taken the graduation photo um with the entire class and walking back uh i first noticed this like giant belgian malinois just like six feet in uh, of the wood line and we're all walking. I'm like, Oh my God, there's a giant dog. And then just right next to him is handlers right there. But you know, that we were like going from the ACUs and regiment already had like the OCP variety and they were just perfectly blended in. And I was like, Oh my God, if I had stopped to take a piss here, I would not have known that I was going to piss right on somebody in the prone position. Cause they were just that well camouflaged. And I was like, all right, I need to look where I stop now. Cause from here on out, you, you don't know if you're going to be pissing on somebody in some training area. That's weird. They were doing a training exercise by Victory Pond? Not by Victory Pond. The Where we took the, the photo was where they have uh, the rappel tower for, like, um, BRC, um, up where you do, like, you know, basic squad sticks uh, intros after you do the classes. It's like that maybe three-quarter of a mile route down that dirt trail from the main... Um, place yeah i we so we took the photo there but um they were about to get into uh pz posture um and then like an osprey came and picked him up and they were out it was pretty cool i was like this is this is motivating and for all the the rangers that were in class with me they were like that's normal i was like oh my god that's so cool and here i am going to fort hood to sit in a bradley i was speaking of fort hood um, you heard about the uh, missing soldier at Fort Hood? Yeah, I mean, just on, I've seen it on Instagram, but I haven't looked into it at all. So I've been loosely following it, and I saw something in the news today that they found the remains of a somebody uh, this past weekend. And it turns out to be another missing soldier from back in, like, last March or something. Like, on the training area? Yeah, it was, like, on, on post or some shit like that. I don't know where it Jesus. Yeah. But there was like some uh, like uh, uh, anonymous tip led them to go find this remains of a soldier who went. He went. He was. He had like one month out from uh, getting out of the army, and then they uh, listed him as AWOL, and I guess never looked for him. 
And then it turns out he was uh, found. Uh, his remains are mm. found. Uh, Fort Hood is massive. Like, uh, I can't remember some of it. Was it Cow Creek Road or... There, we'd go out and do some training events, and then we had an area that was essentially like anywhere that you wanted to do dismounted training with like wooded terrain and big big hills, and like every single time we went out to a different TA, I was always blown away how long it would take to get out there. I mean, like you're driving for forty five minutes to an hour and a half just to get from one end to the other um, for this training event, and then flying around a bunch. I mean, it was that post is massive, so I, I can imagine someone can go you know, missing, then it'd be really difficult for them to find because it is, it's, it's got some thick brush. There's a bunch of lakes out there. Um, parts of Fort Hood were pretty good for training. Like I was really impressed, not with like the mech training areas where it's just big, open, dumb tank land. But yeah, I thought, I thought that would be scary. I think to get lost out there because you are really far from home. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, experience or notice any um i guess illegal activities at fort hood because i remember hearing or reading stories about how you know there were gangs on fort hood that would like run soldiers as prostitutes oh no that happened while i was there yeah Yeah. um over in what's what unit was it uh it was over on the was it West what, West Fort Hood or East Fort Hood? I can't remember. It's wherever the old like division headquarters had been. But um, essentially, like I think E7s and E8s were getting these brand new female privates, uh, and were essentially like you know coercing them into various acts. And so there was a huge prostitution issue. In fact, it was so big. Uh, they got all of the females um, together in like an auditorium, and they were saying like, Hey, this individual is responsible for this. And another female stood up and was like pissed off. It's like, no, that's not true. Like she's also guilty. Like it, it was like some Jerry Springer shit. Uh, so yeah, Fort hood was, there was always like stuff. We had to do like safety briefs too on like motorcycle gangs, like stuff that I, I never thought I would be giving a safety brief on, um, any weekend. And that was just, I don't know. I, I feel like it, my unit was never involved with it. Um, I think it's just like, I think it's based on where you were on a post, uh, really. I, I don't. I just don't remember like our brigade specifically, our battalion ever having issues. Yeah, it was like kind of wild. Like the story of this one private, like uh, Gillen, Vanessa Gillen, or whatever. Kind of crazy how nothing happened with that investigation. It's just like. You know, I don't know if that's like the ineptitude of the armies, like army CID. I don't want to spread rumors or anything, but like, you know, I was reading like some of the articles on like Facebook and seeing some of the comments. It's like kind of appalling, don't you think? It's like, I think it's, I think it's really bad. The army historically, I feel like is usually like on the forefront of social change, whether or not like people in the military recognize that, but the whole fact that we were, you know, getting women into um, the military when, when my mom was one of the first Black Hawk pilots and really opening up those opportunities and then, you know, women into... 
yeah, desegregating and women into combat branches. I mean, the army always seems to be on the forefront of that stuff, but it's weird. I feel like the army is pretty far behind when it comes to sexual assault, sexual harassment. We have the giant shark program, but it does not seem to have the teeth that say like the public sphere has. If you're in a corporation and there's like a, you know, a misconduct allegation out there, if it's against you and, and there's some credible evidence, you're in a lot of trouble. Whereas in the military, it's like unless you have some physical evidence, it's almost, I feel, impossible. So um, I can definitely see why people would be hesitant to file claims in the military when, you know, not a lot seems to be done. That being said, again, I just, I don't have a ton of firsthand experience with it because every unit I've been in has been 99.9% male. And, you know, you have a couple females in the battalion in some of, you know, the support companies or up at the headquarters. Um, I don't, and I almost feel like lucky that, you know, being an infantry officer and an infantryman at that time, we didn't have females uh, in those units because it, it was just like one less thing I had to be concerned about with, you know, some unprofessional conduct of my soldiers. Now we had, you know, plenty of times where we'd be on a deployment and, you know, guys would see a female and they'd get all excited and you'd be like, hey, you like, be professional. You're here for nine months. You're going to see women when you get back to the United States. Like, don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass the unit. Like, chill. Um, but I know, like, there were a lot of issues with, I think, like, MP units, um, with some of the log units uh, at Hood when I was there. It's just, it was bad. It's, like, embarrassing. And it, it's, uh, it's really bad that the military, you know, does not have, I think, better abilities to regulate that kind of thing. So how do you feel about, like, kind of the legal system? Because, like, in my limited exp- experience uh, with, like, UCMJ and kind of the... Uh, legal aspect of the military it seems to be like a lot of commanders don't uh, listen to their you know advocate generals and like listen to the JAG officers telling them that hey like you can't do this or like this is a new command influence and things like that I feel like a lot of the time commanders in the military just don't have like a grasp of the legal system and then just uh, the actual like JAG officers get kind of like run over by commanders who are like trying to. Oh my to... God. So people have asked like, are you interested in going JAG or would you ever have been interested in going JAG? And the answer is fuck no. At, at no point would I ever want to be a lawyer in the army. Um, one, the only experiences I had with lawyers in the army up until getting to regiment and seeing some of the different things that they were able to do um, was dealing with like soldiers uh, that pissed hot for doing coke, like not within my platoon, but when you had to do like uh, an investigation into another unit, missing equipment, doing flipples, having to go up to the brigade to see if you know you can pin this on some soldier for signing for a GP medium and then that tent going missing. Like that's the kind of stuff I associated with JAG, and then I associated it with you know like when we actually had really bad soldiers, like individuals that I would embarrass to show my parents and grandparents that served were wearing the same uniform, trying to kick them out. And it's just like, they create so many loopholes for these guys to stay in. If you didn't like, they pissed hot for cocoa, well, you didn't counsel them or, 
you didn't take uh, the corrective you know measures necessary at the very beginning um, to bring them to Jag sooner. I mean, like there were so many steps that if you didn't follow every single one, this guy was able to get off. Uh, if you got a DUI, like I, I had a guy get a DUI, and a couple years later he you know promoted to E five. But it's like that's just the kind of thing that. Like when we talk about in society right now holding police officers to a higher standard and like if you make a serious mistake, those are the same guys that are, you know, kneeling on people's necks that are shooting guys in the back. Like that's the kind of like those are the ramifications that you see down the line. It's the same thing with soldiers. Like it's not like you have this great soldier that does one thing badly one time. It's like usually there's a pattern. So I hated JAG while I was in because I felt like we just created excuses and opportunities for people to stay in the military that had no business wearing the uniform because it was an embarrassment, you know, to the country and to that, you know, those those unit patches that they wore. So I guess like, where do you draw the line then? Because, you know, if you have an overactive or like a not, uh, I guess, soldier advocating JAG and then you just have a JAG that's, you know. I don't think we should have a soldier advocating JAG. I think if you do something reckless and dangerous and stupid, like you should not be trusted to be a soldier in the military. There are thousands of soldiers all across the United States that can fill that position. I, I think generally if you're in the military, you know that there's a bunch of fraud, waste, and abuse when it comes to fund funding. There's been opportunities for you to go and do training, but you can't come up with the resources. Like, hey, if you get rid of these really bad soldiers, that's just more money that your units and that the military and the DOD is going to have to go and help pay for these training events to make you a more professional organization and a more an elite fighting force. So instead of saying like, oh, not all of us have these, you know, these the, these great sets of nods, it's like, hey, if you cut a couple really bad soldiers that keep getting in trouble for, you know, uh, drinking uh, violations for, you know, pissing hot, like that's more money for the military. So um, I know a lot of people are always like stick up for your guys, but I don't think you should stick up for shitbags. Like, get out of the military. The, the military shouldn't be a place for a bunch of people that have nowhere else to go to just show up and expect to be thanked for their service. Like, that's one thing that just really always pissed me off was people come into the military. The expectation is they're going to be like taken care of. They're not going to really have to put forth a ton of effort. And if they get in trouble, then they're going to be given like a, a one time go. You can't you don't get that anywhere else in the world. There's no other occupation where you can get into the amount of trouble that a soldier can get into and keep your job. That just it does not make sense. I think I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I don't think um, there's that many that's going to make a big difference of of bad apples or like shitty soldiers in my experience it's been like <clears throat> maybe one or two per company that, that are like the ship eggs that need that, that need to go so i don't think that you would actually save that much uh funding on the military by kicking out these soldiers and then we still are facing like a huge uh deficit for manning requirements across the army so I don't necessarily I, think that's like I don't think that right it's strategy. No, you you have like one to two bad soldiers that are doing like illegal things. That's one thing. I would also say the JAG has a problem when you want to like kick a dude out for consistently failing height and weight and not being able to pass PT. Like I tried for like over a year while I was at Hood to try to get guys out that could not meet the physical standards or at least like the physical standards of what we expected in infantrymen. 
to be able to perform to. And I was like, hey, you are running a 1632 mile. That's pathetic. Like you're supposed to be running a 1556. And it's like you can counsel them. You have to set them up with like dietary plans. It's like I don't know why all of a sudden you had the individual responsibility to sign your name on a dotted line and to assume the responsibilities of being a soldier. But all of a sudden you get to the military and that all goes out the window. Now it's incumbent on your leadership to make sure that you're not fat, that you're not stuffing your face outside of work hours, that when you go to the defect, you're eating healthy. So like, and then the, the JAG helps protect all of those bad behaviors. It's like, you can only do so much. I mean, like I can only bring a horse to water. I can't force it to drink. And so that's one of the things that in general with JAG, I was always really disappointed by because you just get these individuals that help keep those guys in the system. And I still don't think that we have a manning issue in the army. I think we have this idea that we have to have so many hundred thousand individuals in the military ready to go to war. I think that's a problem with like the military industrial complex that we have to have all these divisions. I just don't think that's necessary. We have a lot of really great weapons that, you know, the field artillery has, um, you know, our armor branch has, the aviation. It's like almost every single branch we have better weaponry than the near peers um, in our category. And we just don't need to throw bodies at a problem. So I I think in general, and, and why I don't want like a super protective, soldier protective JAG Corps is I think the Army needs to be trimmed down significantly, both from like a fitness perspective as well as, you know, I don't know why you can't make more of the Army look like the 75th Ranger Regiment. I don't, I don't, like we have the RFS. If you made guys in the regular Army like hold a higher standard, I guarantee you the trickle-down effect would be significantly more fit soldiers if you kicked a couple out within a month or two of showing up because they were out of shape. Like you don't need to give them six to 12 months to get their ass in gear. They're, they're adults. We're entrusting them with a weapon system to go and potentially kill someone on foreign soil. I shouldn't have to worry too much about you putting down the honey buns, you know, while you're in your uh, uh, barracks. So let me <clears throat> flip the scenario around for you then. So uh, basically you're saying that we have – that soldier should just have one chance and one chance only, and if they fuck up, then they're done. In certain circumstances and scenarios, absolutely. So then what about, I guess, if you flip the the scenario and, like, say, uh, for example, you talk about, you know, uh, people coming from, like, African-Americans coming from urban environments. You know, yeah. they're not coming from great circumstances. They don't know, you know, anything about education, about healthcare about fitness and what have you. So then these people don't have the resources to succeed or to do well. And then, you know, that's just like a product of their upbringing that they are, you know, kind of skewed towards this kind of um, lifestyle or skewed towards something. Yeah, so like, you know, what do socioeconomic differences in individuals growing up um, have on you know their ability to perform as a soldier kind of thing is what you're you're bringing up and I, I think that's what basics for and basics like, basics like two months three months like that's it, not enough so to they've got basic they've got AIT like y- you have to go through these courses and if you have like the best soldiers leading there and really indoctrinating people like I just don't think you can give individuals so many chances and it's like for egregious things i'm not talking like 
you speak back to your first sergeant one time and you're out of the military. I'm talking like you get a DUI, you're gone. Um, you piss hot, you're gone. You can't keep protecting that kind of a culture inside of the military because it's toxic. And then what happens is if you find out people get to stay in the military and we take these variables like you introduced, like you know the socioeconomic backgrounds, the educational backgrounds into consideration for everyone, well then it's no longer a legal standard based on precedent. Now it's a legal standard based on you know what people feel like when they think of you know, different classes of people, different races, different educational backgrounds of people. And now you're not treating people fairly when they come through and they're being judged by, you know, um, these officers sitting on these boards. So I, I get a DUI. I should have the same chances or, you know, uh, opportunities to stay in the military as the 19-year-old um, who knows better to drink and drive because since 16 years old, when you got your license, you've been told you should not drink and drive. I just think you have to hold a higher standard, and it sucks that some people are coming into the military that have you know different backgrounds and experiences. But again, if you go through basic and you know these drill instructors are worth their weight in gold, then I don't think you have a problem in teaching that and having that come across. And if you have really good leaderships within platoons and within squads, and you're putting people in the right positions for leadership, you shouldn't have a problem either because those guys are going to be going to the barracks every single morning before PT and checking in as a team leader. You know, they're going to have like a one day a week thing where the squad leaders are going to go down monthly counseling statements. Like those are all things that should be happening that don't happen. And I think it's reflective when you look back and see like what companies perform and which don't. Yeah, I just find that it's like a too restrictive uh, strategy. Like, of course, in the ideal world where, you know, you produce the top of the top, you know, soldiers and NCOs, you'd have this scenario. But I mean, I think a lot of the time is a mentoring and a I look at it as potential. Like a lot of these guys coming in, like they have a ton of potential. But, you know, if they make one mistake is that really enough to justify ending somebody's career or potential career? Cause like, you don't know, you know, if this 19 year old have had the proper mentoring or the proper leadership or proper NCOs, like what he could turn into. And I see that all the time, like in the big armies that you have, you have guys that get dealt a shitty hand by getting sent to a shitty unit. And yeah. then you lose that, you know, potential of this guy could be the next, you know, Sergeant Major of the Army, but you don't know that because he wasn't given the the same opportunities to excel or to do well because sure. he was dealt like shitty hand. Sure, but that, that goes back to the unit leadership. So that goes to like, you know, trimming the fat on the officer side of the house, trimming the fat on the senior NCO side of the house. You know, if when I'm showing up to be a platoon leader somewhere you know, I'm sitting down with the first sergeant, my platoon sergeant, my squad leaders, my team leaders, all individually, and then going and learning about every single soldier so that when something comes up and you, you know, you hear that one of your soldiers is, you know, from a, um, a less educated background, or, you know, they have issues with their brand new marriage, and they're signing for all of this furniture, you know, and they're building all this massive debt. It's like, that's the stuff where leaders need to step in. And like, we've stepped in in the past, like my platoon sergeant and I were super involved with the the daily goings on of our soldiers. And we find out that, you know, these, these furniture salesmen would take advantage of, of our guys when they would go and try to buy furniture and be like, well, I think you can afford this. And it's like, they don't show them all the other costs that they're incurring when they sign for, you know, essentially an entire house worth worth of furniture. And 
all of that payment combined with all of their other expenses, now they're like, they're scrambling because they're a thousand dollars in debt every single month and it's just building and building. Like that's the kind of stuff where good leaders are going to make sure their soldiers are taken care of. And so even if they come from varying backgrounds of, again, socioeconomic status and education, if we have the correct leaders involved at the very beginning after they graduate basic and AIT and they get to their unit, I don't think you lose that potential. But as soon as you do something that people know worldwide or you know nationwide, drinking and driving is bad, doing cocaine is bad, like that's where you have to hold people accountable, not as just soldiers, but as citizens. And you know, it should be a privilege to wear the uniform. It should not just be a, a basic right for you to fulfill, like so that, you know, you feel that someone owes you something. Like you drink and drive, you're gonna get a DUI. Like you shouldn't be treated any different than you would in the regular world. Yeah, but uh, are there cases of people who get uh, like pulled over for a DUI and then in the civilian sector or the civilian law are, you know, are innocent of the DUI, but then are still uh, under a maybe overly active JAG or military legal side or found guilty of a DUI without any actual evidence of a DUI? I don't know of any cases where you get charged with a DUI without, like, I think there's some circumstances where if you refuse a breathalyzer, um, they can get you on, like, not driving under the, not driving while intoxicated, but, like, driving while impaired. Um, there's, like, I think different degrees, but in, in general, it's like, you know, you should be able to, if a guy fails a breathalyzer, he has a DUI. I, like, I don't know, like, how much more basic it can get. Now, speaking of breathalyzers, one thing I did not know is not all police officers that are military police are certified or trained or validated on using a breathalyzer. Um, I had a dude leave one day midday because he didn't feel like working, uh, go home and start drinking margaritas with his wife. And we were like, where are you? Like, get your ass back to work. If you've been drinking, like, find a way here and then he drove his ass on to post and we're like what what part of like don't drink and drive didn't you understand and so took him to the mp station i was like give this guy a breathalyzer he just drove back on to post drunk he went like missing all morning because he didn't feel like being at work because he thought we weren't doing anything for the day and every single mp that was you know in that building was like sorry i'm not uh i'm not certified on a on a breathalyzer it's like are you kidding? You guys are military police. How is that not like the three things that you get taught when you're at Leonard Wood? Like how to wear your hat inside of a building 24-7 because you're on duty, how to give a breathalyzer, and how to position yourself on range roads when people want to drive 45 and a 40 and you know pull them over and give them a ticket. Like those are the three things that I think you get taught when you're at Leonard Wood. How can't you do one of them? Uh, so I will say that I've got a buddy right now, an NCO, that uh, was pulled over uh, and was not charged with the DUI, but it was reported on the blotter uh, that he was pulled over for your DUI and popped on the blotter, got a GOMAR, and was reprimanded by the military without ever going to court for said DUI. Yeah, see, that's but that's an instance where the JAG should step in. Like, I'm saying when you have physical proof that... You know, the dude is drunk and driving. The dude pisses hot on a UA. Like, that's that's where 
you have hard, fast evidence that this person violated something, you know, under the UCMJ and basic civilian, uh, you know, um, codes, like gone, see ya. Like, and I, I just think like you, you do it, you correct one or two individuals and people realize the severity of their actions and then it doesn't happen. I mean, it's like the Rangers at battalion, like when a guy gets RFS and I know in, in some battalions in the past, like they would have formations for it where, you know, the sergeant major would come and they'd rip the scroll off. They'd make the entire formation do an about face. And then those guys would be let out, you know, outside the fence. Like guys don't want to mess up and don't want to do something stupid because the risk of losing that title of being a ranger or the risk of losing that opportunity to, you know, further be a soldier is just, it's gone now. It's permanently gone. Don't, don't fuck up. Like, if you play stupid games, you're going to win stupid prizes. I don't know. I just have too, maybe too much anecdotal evidence or too many stories that I've heard of the military legal system just, you know, absolutely abusing the their power and overreaching their power because the service member doesn't know their rights, their, their legal rights they're entitled to. And I think it's very easy uh, for the military system to abuse the powers that they have in terms of being able to, you know, um, like, you know, from a criminal justice side, how easily like the, um, what is it, the chain of custody for evidence um, can very easily turn into a inadmissible in court. Whereas in the military, you know, lots of, I think, very... Um, not necessarily shady, but like some unscrupulous behavior happens all the time on the legal side where, you know, evidence is improperly handled, the chain of custody is not handled correctly, people aren't told of their rights. So I think there's a, I think more all, often all than of, not. All of those things that you just described would generally lead to dropping of charges. Right. So like the burden of proof, burden of production is always going to be on the prosecution. You have to find beyond a reasonable doubt when it comes to criminal uh, charges that the person is guilty. You know, they are innocent and until such. And and when you have someone with the chain of custody where, you know, you have issues with evidence, those are typically cases in which individuals um, will not face those charges or convicted of those charges. So I, I just, again, I don't have, I'm speaking here from not a ton of experience uh within, you know, the criminal justice side of, of the house. It's not one of the, the the practices of law that, you know, I think I'll find myself engaged in um, in the future. And it certainly wasn't anything that I really had experiences with uh, while I was in. Like, uh, again, the couple of instances that I, I worked with JAG, you know, um, doing flipples, which was a blast, not, um, you know, guys getting DUIs and just being like, you know, if you had hit and killed somebody, you know, those are the those are the consequences of, of that kind of stupidity, um, and then getting called like because uh, like a Facebook group that I'd started for our company, like somebody posted something years later after I left, and they were like, "Are you the administrator?" And I was like, "What? What? What is this? No, sorry, dude. Like, I'm out. I I don't I don't touch our company's Facebook. I don't even touch my Facebook. Like, those are my interactions with Jag, and I just think it's like such a waste of of that, that education sometimes for the, the stupidity that, you know, we have to deal with in the military. Yeah. I, don't, I just think that in my, uh, experiences that in the military, the legal and the military legal side, I think guys are more often guilty until proven innocent. 
And I think that that system is inherently flawed because of the undue uh, influence that commanders have on the legal system and how easily sure. the power or that military rank and power can abuse the legal system. And I think that... Sure, because you can flag guys. Like, there are uh, unofficial ways that you can, you know, bring your own justice to a dude that you think violated, um, you know, some facet of, you know, the military code. I I think some commanders, you know, you can garnish wages. Um, I heard someone that you can put them on, like, just a bread and water diet. Uh, when I was like a PL, that was something that, that yeah, someone like said. Labor. Yeah, I mean, like there there are some things that commanders and, and first sergeants can team up on um, and absolutely get away with. And that's where, again, I don't say that we shouldn't have the soldier advocacy uh, jag. I'm talking from the standpoint of like in very specific cases, jag should not be soldier friendly. And that's for like serious criminal violations. You're gone. And an inability to meet the standard you're gone. Like, it's just, it's a privilege to, to serve. It, it should not be an absolute right. Right, but I think that a lot of the time that JAG has to be soldier protective because a lot of the times the evidence isn't even presented to in a proper way or, you know, charges, I guess, are levied too early or they're, you know, deemed guilty before they even go into a trial or even as Yeah, but you'll have, the there's, you know, the JAG Corps has... Um, you know, attorneys that will sit there and defend those clients. It's not like we're, we're charging someone in the UCMJ and they're going to go up against this captain or major in a military court and they're going to be sitting there all alone as a 19, 20, 21 year old. Like you're going to have a defense attorney. And one of the Jags that I knew at Carson had to do that, you know, every month or every couple of weeks he had to go and, and be a defender for a soldier that had done something. And so these guys are going through every single one of the steps that you just mentioned, going through what kind of evidence was there. So, again, it's not like the the JAG Corps sits on this, like, huge tribunal, like, you know, in the, uh, was it the Council of Ricks? It's not like the Council of Ricks are there and they just bring, you know, Rick C-135 in and they're like, boom, justice. It's like, you know, Rick C-135 is going to have not a Morty defending him. He's going to have another Rick defending him to make sure that, you know, everything was done properly and that none of the evidence was overlooked. Um, I think in general, a lot of people have a misconception of how the JAG works just because a lot of us are so far removed from it. You know, you only hear really for like Article 15 things where you bring JAG in or flipples, like I said. Um, but when it comes to actual like criminal violations and prosecutions, like all these soldiers have really good JAGs defending them because it's not like they enter the military and they're told you're going to be a um, a defense attorney for soldiers. It's like they have to constantly switch from being defense to prosecution. So it's not like they can really just find one area of law that they want to practice. They're still then rated too on how well that they do um, for these soldiers and advocating for them. So that again, when it comes to like minor violations and commanders and undue influence, soldier protected JAGs, I'm fine with. But like I just have a very like when it comes to criminal and illegal acts. Uh, that have like ramifications on the civilian side of the house, that's where we have to draw the line. And that's where I draw the line personally. Yeah, I've had an experience with, with a guy that I was in my battalion, uh, the battalion Fist, who uh, was caught in a sting operation selling ecstasy. 
So saying that side, yes, I agree with you. Like, go, I went like went to his trial, like sat on the trial and was witness to that. That side of the house, I won't argue against. It's it's that side of the house that you're talking about, about like soldier actions or like minor legal issues that kind of get um, people get throttled by the commander, or the commander decides to make an example of these guys. Sure, no, and I don't actually. I, and I think in all this, I think we're in agreement when it comes to like the role of JAG and what we see because. You know, just that example of what you said, like, I completely agree with your analysis of the situation and how that panned out. I, I think that commanders can exert, like, way too much influence. Um, I think some battalion commanders are the absolute worst, and right. I think it varies from branch to branch. I've I found the more infantry a unit I was in, the less problems that we had with that kind of thing. I think in general, when you have commanders that have to walk their ass everywhere, and run next to guys and, you know, seek cover next to guys, there's a stronger bond. But when you remove that and you're just rolling around in your Cadillac on tracks and, you know, you're in an armor unit that wears Stetsons, like that's where I saw usually the biggest disparity between how soldiers were treated, how their commanders treated them and the kind of punishments that were doled down. So again, if what I just said makes you think, huh, is he just taking a shit on armor and commanders in armor, like that's 100% what I'm doing. Like I've never seen such bad toxic leadership um, outside of armor units and cav units. Yeah, so I, I think I'll end with this one story that I think I've told you the story about the one my one buddy who went out in Nashville and was arrested out in Nashville uh, because he was exercising his own right uh, to not be... Um, no, basically, the cop stopped him as like a suspicion for something else but then he was like no i'm not that person and like i don't know basically the story was that he got arrested for uh unduly arrested uh in nashville and then he was then on monday his battalion commander took him from the entire formation like lambasted him from the entire battalion formation um and then he got a gomar from that and was barred from uh continuing his army career and was this guy from West Point? Yeah. I feel like I've heard the, the same story from Dave. Yeah, maybe somewhat yeah. similar, yeah. But it's yeah. like, legally, nothing was ever proven, and he the charges were all dropped. But on the military side, you know, he got a Gomar. He was barred for promotion to captain. He no, was see, the, that, and that's the worst. Like, I can't. That, yeah, and that's, the, that's my experience with the JAG and, and the military legal side is that. Oh, yeah, so no we're on the same page then like that's that's the kind of stuff that that should never happen like the the battalion commander should have been remanded the general should have been remanded like a reprimand excuse me like that's the kind of thing where you say like this guy clearly did nothing wrong right like the cops made a mistake and then like that's one of those things too like uh in the in the civilian side of the house, again, I don't know enough about the ECMJ, but you can have like intentional infliction of emotional distress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tort claim where you purposely are doing something to make someone else like upset. Um, I think it's like it's one of the, and then there's there's negligent infliction of emotional distress, and it's like really hard to get a, a lot of these cases uh, through because it's just kind of like a, he made me upset, and you have to have some like really good examples. Like that would be an example where you're like this dude's career was essentially ruined. His reputation was ruined because the, you know, command jumped to uh, conclusions 
um, and decided to make you know a public spectacle of something that did not require any right. publicity. Right. Like, that stuff I hate. I hate that you know to my core, especially when it, and the fact that like nobody in the you know JAG at Brigade or Battalion did anything to step in and protect his rights is like clearly these guys were not very good at law school or were not very good lawyers and are dealing with like too much stupid flipple shit to be focusing on like protecting actual careers when it comes to stuff like that. So no, no issue there. That that's an awful story. Yeah. But that's kind of like where I, I think that's where I lie on that, on that like discussion that we're just having that, you know, Jag is probably good at doing like the stupid shit, but when it comes down to protecting actual soldiers from kind of like fucked up situations, yeah. they fail miserably and then commanders are able to wield this on this this huge power and influence on the legal proceedings before even 100 percent dude yeah. like that that's a hundred percent like a great now quick question what kind of unit was he in was this a mechanized F- or F-A. armor unit it was fa, F-A. yeah buzzle light fa light god damn it so like same thing it he, he has a tr- there's a truck in that formation somewhere they got to pull their what what is a light fa what are the 105s yeah 105s yeah. Yeah, that, and it's that's me- like it's mech. Yeah, so I've had like I guess the wide spectrum of, you know, I guess like pers- like anecdotal stories from like legal proceedings from both sides of the house like yeah. criminal like where a guy did a criminal act was found guilty of a criminal act and went to a military, you know, jail essentially for yeah, a year and then was disarmed with discharged. And then my one buddy who, you know, was a lieutenant who got discharged or who was supposed to be discharged under less than honorable conditions, which like carries significant ramifications. Oh my God. Inside. Yeah. Huge ramifications. But then like he was never charged and charges were dropped on the, on the police side, but on the military side, like he went, they went all the way up to like army S one, like army le- level of the army. Yeah. Uh, army G one. I mean, uh, like had a go more like installation, go more, and that was just like, how like where was the legal system on the where was the mil- where like where was the jag on that case? No, you know? I. 100%. I feel like that. I feel like that happens a lot in the military side too, especially with like officers. Like, if an officer like makes a mistake or something happens on the officer side, like they're like I think generals and commanders are quick to make an example of these officers without any actual legal evidence for doing so, and that's where I sure. find a lot of like dissatisfaction or gripes with the military legal system that it's just that these commanders are able to wield like this crazy amount of power and people's careers and people's like lives livelihoods essentially oh, dude i i'm not in disagreement at all um like that those are like awful stories and again that's where the jags should be doing their job so like you know, when I when we started off talking about this, uh, and I was like, "Hey, I'm not for like you know uh, JAG protecting soldiers kind of thing," like that was not the scope of you know the conversation that I thought we were going to be having about like criminal violations of you know a very uh, severe nature, where it was again the DUIs, the assaults, uh, the you know grand theft auto, like you name it, where it's you know in like a uh, law and order SVU or, you know, any law and order series, like I'm, I'm not cool with protecting that, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, that's just, that's really lazy on the commands. Uh, and again, it just goes back to really bad leadership. So if we can draw anything from the conversation, it's like, 
if you have guys that are just getting to your unit and you're not doing a good job getting to know exactly what situations they're coming from, what part of the country they're coming from, what their educational background is, what their financial background is, like you are adding to a potential problem when they revert to, you know, some lawlessness um, from their teenage years because they might not have had mentors. And if that if that happens, that's that should also be on you. Like that should be a reflection of your poor leadership. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that too. Yeah, definitely for sure. I think at the end of the day, I think we actually are, do agree on this. I think we just maybe the words that we chose were not early. Yeah, I think I think we were looking at it from like you were looking at it from a a perspective of you know a small minor infraction and you know undue uh, uh, command influence on you know the the soldier's career versus I'm looking at it from the the more extreme side, like the shitbag side. Yeah, I just like have not i guess a lot of faith in the military legal system for smaller things but as far as like criminal things sure like that i'm sure i think they do that correctly but like on yeah. the other side it's just like there's so much more room for commanders to kind of fuck with the law kind of fuck with the ability for uh like that like mps or whoever do investigations fully you know i think that's like a kind of a travesty for the legal system yeah well i think it starts at the career courses you have all these captains that are getting ready to take command and there's like uh, I think most posts have a commander's course that commander first sergeant course you're supposed yeah. to go to before you take command but not one time at the career course did we have like a week long or a two day long period where we said hey we're going to go through the UCMJ and find like the most common violations that your soldiers are going to you know uh, commit um, and these are some of the things you can do when it comes to punishment and counseling. Like, that's not even a course. But, you know, it's great. I went to the Maneuver Center of Excellence, um, Captain's Career Course. And you know what I did spend about, like, three weeks on was, like, tanks, tanks, and more tanks. Like, stuff that as, like, a, a light infantryman or an infantryman in general, like, you could have given me an hour-long presentation of this is a tank, <laughs> this is fury, put them together every single you know armor officer is going to have some sort of like a haircut like brad pitt here in the next week and uh yeah like i need you to brief me about the uh the abrams tank as an infantry officer i'm like that's fucking useless like i'm just going to do a better job on this op board and the tactics than the actual armor officer with those tanker boots on that runs a 17 minute two mile is going to graduate from this course i'm not salty at all yeah, it seems like a very poor preparation, maybe by the like systemically a issue that the military I think should adjust or should address. Maybe no, we just focus on the wrong training. Like, what was it three fifty dash one? Like, uh, I think someone mapped it out uh, for General Milley or something. It was like we don't have enough days in the year to oh, actually yeah. finish all of this like random training. From I mean, you just did the what cyber awareness, cybersecurity. Yeah, I do all, Training. Like, all the stupid shit. Like it's like twelve hours of just click, 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 or the the seer training. Yeah, where like, like it's like the interactive map, and you like have to walk around. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, the one where it's like I'm just gonna run. Like, uh, I'll be honest. Like, if if I was ever behind like enemy lines, 
I'd be running into some of the like most difficult terrain to traverse because if like I'm fit and I know the person chasing me maybe isn't as fit as me, I'm not running downhill. Like I'm going up, at least from like an elevated position, I feel like I at least can control some of the engagement or, you know, at least the everyone's common inclination would be to like run down where you can pick up speed. It's like I I'm gonna I'm gonna take like the really difficult route. Like I don't wanna but in the video game it's like you chose wrong, like reset <laughs> like okay like this is can that's where you're like hey um johnson you you want to click this for me i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go you get your rto over here and just get this shit done for you yeah that is another whole other issue is the level or the amount of st- stupidity in the military yeah it's like hey uh we're gonna have this video everyone has to watch um everyone has to sign in on the sheet those sign-in sheets just get sent up to battalion, which gets sent to brigade. Having been a plans officer at brigade, I get those sheets, and I'm just like, I'm not going by name by name here. If you say you had 120 people there and you needed 120 signatures, you've got them. Like, good on you. Congratulations, unit. You are now certified to go to combat because you know not to plug a USB into a computer. <laughs> like, way to go. We've done it. Yeah, but it's kind of funny because the reason why we do these trainings is because something happened that we have to get training on not to do that thing, right? Oh, oh, I'm very aware of that. My first deployment, um, somebody, I don't know what platoon, I don't think it was mine, uh, decided to download the new Grand Theft Auto maps onto a USB from our computers in our uh, company bays. Um, and... Uh, Thankfully, all of the Xboxes you know that we had brought um, all had the updated mats, so we couldn't identify you know which USB. But we had to dump every single platoon bay. We had to turn over the dozens and dozens of USBs. They all had to get turned in, tested, and you know each one of these had their own keys. And like I'm getting. Um, you know, counseling statements, you know, prepared. It's like, do you know who, who plugged it in? It's like, no, dude. Like, what time did this person plug this in? We don't know. Well, then how am I supposed to tell you? I don't even know if we were here when it was downloaded. I was probably patrolling. How the fuck do I know who downloaded Grand Theft Auto, you know, brand new map system? Like, that's not a concern of mine. Like, I don't think any of these guys are, you know, infiltrating from uh, the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or, you know, some Russian spy organization that really thought that this was the key to beating, you know, America in 10 years was, you know, Grand Theft Auto maps on our Xbox. Yeah, so that's where, like, I don't know. It's just, like, we have to do it, but at the same time, we do it because somebody fucked up in the past and it caused this knee-jerk reaction by the military to fix it. Yeah, knee-jerk reaction from training that should be, you know, should be happening, like advanced medical training. Um, I mean, damn, just all of the stuff getting ready to deploy and and all the steps that you had to take to get out of the army. It was like I had so many appointments where I would just have to show up and they would be like, okay, um, read this board. Like I waited an hour and a half to sit there and see a board or I waited three hours just to go in and go beep. Oh, I didn't hear it on my left side. My Oh, it's broken? That's great. I'm glad I waited so fucking long to take this test. Thank you. Like, the Army, uh, for as many great things as it does, I think it has way too many systems and way too many, like, MOSs um, that put, like, too much significance in what they do, and so everyone has to, like, 
play their portion of that game. It's just, this is such a waste. We'd be so fucked if we had to mobilize so quickly. But that's like any bureaucracy, though, isn't it? Because like any bureaucracy, just like any large organizations that have the same, face the same issues, systemic issues. Yeah, but it's just going to like, you know, the courage of these commanders to say no. It's so easy for commanders to like deny you leave. It's so easy for commanders to say no to like training that you recommend. But you find yourself at like that general officer level and a full bird colonel comes and briefs you and it's like, sir, I really, really think that, you know, we should have at least an hour of training every month on how to carry a tray in the cafeterias at the DFAC. Like this kind of training will make it more efficient for soldiers to go through. And the next thing you know, the division commander's like, yeah, I haven't been down at a platoon in 45 years. That makes sense. Let's do it. That's the kind of training we need. And you're just sitting there like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> what? What did you just say? Like, that's the stupidity. And I just, it blows my mind. We're, we're not a very, like, um, we're Flexible. a reactive. Yeah, we're a reactive formation. We're not a proactive formation. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Because I like to imagine because you think about like large organizations like for example you look at corporations like i'm sure like tesla or like you know any of the various like amazon i'm sure these companies are you know equally as large and equally responsible for as much like manpower and technology and what have you but they're able to pivot a lot quicker and make more I don't know, more informed and flexible decisions than the military when you think the military should have the best of the best. So maybe it's like a talent thing or manning. I don't know what the issue, like systemic issue is when it comes to this stuff. Um, I think we should start wrapping it up. Any other? Yeah, uh, next week we will talk about uh, what happens after you graduate ranger school. What's it like? Um, Bobby can talk about like what it's like when you're in the military and you've got to transition back to your job. Um, and I'll hit up what it's like when you're at iBullock and you graduate. Uh, though some things have changed for the guys at Bullock and whether or not you have an airborne slot, you know, whatever schools that you can hit up while you're at Benning before you go to your unit. We'll talk generally what the, you know, bounce back time is for fitness and, uh, you know, what you should expect from your peers uh, if they don't have their tab or your friends that do and how that kind of dictates your your immediate future for at least six to 12 months after you've graduated yeah and then i guess we talked a little bit ranger school stories but not so much the stories but more so i guess things that you can do or some tips or success sure 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 um any announcements uh no i go back this was like my reset week for training so i'm my legs are more sore on my reset week than they are on the the actual, like, training period. Okay. Uh, I do have a couple announcements. I know you guys keep asking about uh, the new swag and stickers and rebranding and all that stuff. I am still waiting to hear back from our a local screen printer. So once I get uh, a estimate on when that is coming out... You know, we'll make an announcement and tell you guys, like, how many or, like, when to expect some new swag. And then we'll make some big uh, release for everything. Hell, yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Um, anything else? No, have a have a good week of training. I know a lot of cities are going to phase two. New York is this week. Um, so as you guys get back at it, 
you know, just be cognizant of the potential for corona flaring back up and stay safe. Yeah, uh, wear masks. Uh, masks only are beneficial if everybody wears masks, uh, despite what you might think politically and what the answer is. But masks are scientifically proven to be beneficial if both parties wear them. So I know you might roll your eyes and what have you, but, you know, the data isn't we don't know that much yet enough yet about the virus to make any very educated decisions yet. So I think um, being a little cautious is a good policy. Yeah. And with that, we will catch you guys next week. Peace. Later.